How about now? Yeah. Go. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna go. Start it right now. Shut up. Stop talking. Okay. Okay. Whispering. You can't hear me because I'm whispering. Shut up. Hello, John Schuler. <laughs> hey, Brandon Gore. How's it going, buddy? Oh, dude. We finished the last six-day Pinnacle Concrete Camp here in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. Not the last six-day Pinnacle Concrete Camp ever. I had some people, you know, misconstrue what we were saying. It's not the last class ever. It's just the last class in Eureka Springs because I sold the building and, and my house. But we just finished the last class here at this location. Great class, great group of guys, phenomenal pieces. I couldn't have asked for a better finale for the all the events we've done here at this location. And uh, yeah, so I'm just recovering. You know, oh, that really... group of everybody was amazing. Oh yeah. I don't know about all the crying at the end and, you know, yeah, and yeah, the yeah. hugging. It was a lot like shakes. Oprah, you know, when she yeah. gives everybody a car and everybody's crying. It was very much like right. that. But, uh, yeah. Well, hang on. You didn't go to the last epic, did you? I didn't. Everybody got a car? <laughs> no, that's the one I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's exactly. And people were breaking down. Oh. And, you know, it was like. Uh, you thought, I mean, the air and energy out of the room was like. Everybody reached like, underneath their seats and they had keys. It was, I mean, it was, I don't know how to say, if anybody else was there, and not everybody was crying, don't get me wrong, but, you know, certain characters uh, had some complete emotional breakdowns. I could see that. So, yeah. Yeah. It was a great week, an incredible group of talented, talented people that we got to work with. So it was great. Yeah, it was a good class. We had 13 people in the class. We actually had a few more that weren't able to make it because of travel, all the canceled flights and whatnot. But 13 people and just, like I said, phenomenal class. It was a hot week. It was a hot week across the whole United States. A heat wave hit. But even that being said, we went down to the lake. We got done. We had barbecue. We went swimming. Uh, We went out most nights and had drinks at at a local bar. And just a good time. I had a really, really good time with this class. No, everybody was hands-on. Everybody was getting in. Every, I mean, you know, nobody was standing back and, uh, not, you know, just holding up their cell phones and taking pictures. It was great, man. It was great. After the class, you and I went up to Springfield, Illinois to visit with Solomon, who does all of our blending for Kodiak Pro. I've been there before. You have Skyped with them. I mean, we have Skype meetings all the time, but you had never been there yourself. And so you went up there and we toured the the facility and we met the whole team that handles Kodiak Pro, but you saw firsthand the equipment, the technology, the processes, you know, it's insane the number of people that are involved up there with the Kodiak Pro product line, but everything that goes into it. You've known me for a long time. I've been involved obviously with a lot of this kind of stuff, toll blenders, various toll blenders, in-house blending. Uh, I have to say undeniably this is, that's the one of the most professional crew with the equipment and the way they have everything set up that I have seen. Yeah. I mean, I was to say, to say that I I was impressed would be significantly understating what was presented to me. And even more importantly, not just what was currently being done, but then to have, you know, the owner of the company, Like, and by the way, guys, this is for you. Like what? And walks us over and (laughs) shows us like, and this is, this is what we're, you know, and I'm like, oh, you, you gotta be kidding me. Um, in a good way. Like this, we're leaving out in typical John Schuler 
form. Yeah. You're leaving out like three words out of every sentence. So essentially yeah. what you're saying is, yeah. Adam Solomon is saying, hey guys, based on the trajectory of Kodiak and the way things are are just going up, 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 up with, with production, you know, we're going to invest. We're going to make a big investment yeah. to increase production and automation to really just make the process even smoother and faster. Update equipment, new equipment. Yes. Well, uh, you know, the so dedication to equipment, the dedication to us, you know, um, I can certainly walk them back, uh, whatever it was, I don't know, a year ago, let's say. And, you know, if I was a company that size now, after being there, uh, I can only imagine how many whomevers may have ended up on, you know, Adam Solomon's front porch. Hey, you know, I got this idea. I got this idea. And he probably like tried a few of them and watched things fail. So to be working with somebody like us that brought fresh ideas, fresh materials, uh, an incredibly different way of looking at things, and then with their help, watch it foster and grow into something that's, you know, impressing all of us and impressing them. That's um, to the point that he's like, you're, you know, we're investing. Let's go. That That's amazing and exciting. Yeah. Sorry to mute my uh, microphone. The compressor, as it does, decided to refill right now. You know, you know how it does. And now it's back it here. It makes hissing. a part of it, man. It's hissing at me. It makes a part of it. Yeah, well, to to briefly hit on what what makes this different, like you know, first of all, the Kodiak Pro product line is completely different, just from a technology and materials viewpoint. It's different than anything out there. The blending plays into it as well. The quality of blending plays into it, and so there's all these blenders out there, and there's other companies that sell product to this industry, and mm-hmm. you may have seen their blenders on on their social media or whatever. And they're the same kind of blenders that the toll blenders have. And they're more or less just a big barrel mixer type thing. Yeah, kind of big shear. Yeah, yeah shear but, kind of deal. Yeah. But the ability to disperse the particles thoroughly and evenly through the entire matrix is pretty difficult to do. You know, I get it. It's a small mm-hmm. piece of equipment. You're mixing up whatever, a pallet at a time, two pallets at a time. It's just kind of tumbling around. You dump it out. This one has 80% of this ingredient. Next one has 20% of that ingredient. Yeah. It's a mess. It's a mess. And it's just the nature of the beast. And it's what I struggled with before we moved over to Solomon. Before you came on, I was using a different toll blender, which you know who that person is, but I was using a different toll blender. And the quality of product suffered because of the blending. And it's not a dig at that person because it's it's just the nature of a small blender. Well, and it's it's the best of what they had. Exactly. They're doing the best they can do with the equipment they have. Yeah, it was just, it's the best of what they had. And, you know, seeing even the blenders there, and it's hard to explain to anybody if you've never seen this kind of equipment, but I mean, it had like four different methods simultaneously to create the most efficient shear and dispersion possible at one time. And it's like five stories tall. That's what I kept trying to tell you. It looks like an Apollo rocket and you go up, (laughs) you go up another level on the floor, solid welded steel. And it's like huge. And then you go up another level And you go, but you're like, what, what? This is crazy. It's just so big. And that's, and they have four of those. And one of them is going to be the one that's going to be dedicated pretty much to our product here at some point. But yeah, it's, it's incredible to see in person and then compare that to other stuff. You know, I would liken it to if you're trying to mix 
GFRC, like uh, you, you cut open maker mix and you take like a garden hoe and a wheelbarrow and a hose and you're just trying to mix it up, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Let me mix up this GFRC versus using a IMR 360 or 120 plus or a column mix or whatever it is. You know, those mixers will mix so much more efficiently than a hoe and a wheelbarrow. And so the toll blenders, just to kind of put that analogy towards that, when they're blending raw ingredients, it's kind of like the hoe and the wheelbarrow type thing where they just don't have the ability to shear the product at a very high level. And it just is what it is. Yeah. And I said it all along. There's a magic. Yeah. I mean, there is a magic that happens with that much raw material you know, the, the full dispersion, everything be, being wet out efficiently, meaning from the cements to the sands. And there's a magic that happens there under that condition that cannot be, be reproduced without it. And that's just the way it is. Agreed. So that's super exciting. And I thought it was time well spent to go up there and meet everybody and shake hands and see the entire operation. And, you know, I loved it. So yeah. that was fun. That was great. What else? What else do you want to talk about, John? Well, I'm going to digress back to the workshop. What? So we had a great time. You know, we um, introduced some of those steps that I've talked about le- recently, using the acetic acid as part of a, you know, pre-wash, pre-soak. I call it neutralization of the concrete prior to sealing. So that was fun doing it all in person with everybody. Uh, who wasn't expecting anything else. The, the first questions some people had, like, oh, you know, isn't the acid going to kick off the sealer? Um, no. You know, I, I, in posts that are out there, I've read many, like, oh, you know, such and such was uh, applied. I'm not going to say what topicals. And uh, acid washed the concrete, didn't neutralize the concrete, neutralized using, again, ammonia washes or something. So to people see that, no, with ICT, all that, ammonias, baking sodas, whatever hocus pocus out the door, like people are just how easy Sim- the simplicity of a system we continue to bring to people is, is exciting for a lot of people. So, well, it's enough, enough sales pitch for us. Let's talk about something with the uh... amazing. <laughs> I'm going to bring out my sham. Wow. Look at my sham. Wow. Hey guys. It absorbs. It rings. It... <laughs> the slap shot. Sorry. Have have, have you seen my nuts? Look at my nuts. Hey, camera guy, look at my nuts. Remember that guy? What was his name? Vince? Something like that? Vince? I don't know. Slap chop. Well, what else? What else do we want to talk about? You know, I don't know. I'm still like in recovery mode. My mind is still... The thing about teaching a class is there's, you know, a couple weeks leading up to the class where you're prepping, you're trying to get stuff done, you're trying to get the shop straightened up, you're trying to get all the materials on hand, and you're just getting in that zone. Then you do the class, and that's like running a couple triathlons back to back and then you finish the class and then you're in recovery for about a week, week and a half to where you're just mush. A good few days. Yeah. Yeah, No question about it. Yeah. Now I came home yesterday. Well, number one, you know, I flew in late and got home, man. Yesterday I just roached, totally, totally roached. Um, you still got to get things done, of course, but you just feel like you're dragging an anchor behind you. Mm -hmm. It's kind of funny. So I feel a lot better today, but well, John, something I want to hit on really quick, something that was a big topic of discussion in the class, and that's originality. Originality. Mm-hmm. And does originality exist? What it right. takes to make original work? And there was a post kind of, you know, synchronicity, a post that popped up on one of the Facebook pages about the same time as the class that was right. touching the subject. And that that poster was essentially saying that, you know, he 
thinks most things are derivative and it's just not really worth the energy or effort or expense to be original. So, you know, it's better to, yeah, it's better to steal like an artist, take things you like, remix it and call that original, which it's not. Uh, but, but that was, that was the direction of the poster. I don't, I don't really care about that uh, post. That's not really what I'm discussing here. So, you know, anybody listen, don't think like that's what I'm addressing because I'm not addressing that. What I'm addressing is originality and does originality exist. In a thousand percent, it exists. You know, John and I, we were talking about Van Gogh and how before Van Gogh, nobody was painting in that style. Van Gogh comes along, has this style, it's iconic. And now there's all these people that can paint Van Gogh reproductions almost as good, if not as good as Van Gogh. Right. But they're doing what he did. He did it first. Nobody done it before him. And now there's people yeah, that they, do it. They, have a, they now have a reference to go off, which exactly. can make it so much easier. And as we discussed, yeah, it's almost like a coloring book. Right? Yeah, paint by numbers. Yeah. But, you yeah. know, to reference the concrete industry, think about who was doing purple concrete with ammonites in it before Futong Chang. Nobody. Nobody. And so now if you see a purple countertop with a big ammonite slapped right in the middle of it, who do you think of? Fu Tung Chang. That's Fu right. Tung Chang design DNA. He did it. Now, could I take it? Could I, could I make the ammonite smaller? And could I make the concrete blue? Could I, I could do all these things. I could remix it, but it's still going to be Fu Tung Chang DNA. It doesn't matter. Uh, Buddy Rhodes, pressed finish. You know, mm-hmm. nobody's doing that before Buddy came along. That's iconic. Buddy Rhodes developed a very unique look and style. Yeah. That is Buddy Rhodes. Right. And there, there's a lot of these things. You know, it still transcends today. Yeah, I, I would mean, say like look. the erosion sink that I create or uh, the Muskoka chair, these are things that hadn't been done before I had done them. And, um, you know, people will make derivatives of those things. And we could argue, is that right? Is that wrong? Whatever. And that's a topic for a different day. But the point is, before I did it, before Buddy did it, before Futong Cheng did it, before you made the finishes that you do, before Dusty perfected, Dusty create the aesthetic that he has and where that's where that's gone, those things weren't being done. There is originality, but it takes a lot of work. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't want to do. They don't want to put in the work. They don't want to put in the time. They don't want to put in the money. And they don't want to risk failure because there is a lot of risk of failure. Well, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, I was going to add to that because there's a the risk factor involved goes much further than just your time or your thought process. You know, it goes all the way into your pocketbook as well. Well, it goes Um, into your confidence. You know, you you think, you think I'm a good designer. You know, I I think I know what I'm doing. And then you do stuff. And and when it comes out, if you're honest with yourself, which usually you're not in the beginning, I'm guilty of this. I'll do something, beginning comes out, I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. And then a year later, look at it, I'm like, dude, that was horrible. What was I thinking when I did that? You know, but at the time I was 100% honest. But when you do have that real kind of gut check level of honesty, a lot of times we, we look in the mirror and we think, or, or we realize maybe we're not as good as we thought we were. Maybe we're not as, as whatever it was at that point in time. It's not to say that you're not going to get better because you do get better. If you keep, if you keep working towards it, you'll get better. If you but, keep working. Yeah. Exactly. I, but I think a lot of times in the beginning, that failure of not being able to deliver on, on the quality that you want to, the level that you want to, whatever it is, is a gut punch. So what's the easy route? The easy route would be like, well, let me look through Pinterest or Facebook or Instagram. Oh, this is cool. Yeah, you know, if I if I change that just a little bit, you know, I can I can technically or even try to reproduce it. Yeah. Or try to reproduce it. Or but you know, I'll just change the legs or I'll just change this. And technically it's different enough. I mean, what's uh, we'll call it good. 
that's the safe route. But there's not a lot of risk in that. And there's not a lot of reward in that either because the problem is when you take that route, and I see a lot of guys take that route, not just in concrete, but I'm talking about any industry, woodworking, metalworking, whatever it is. When people take that route, the safe route, their success is very, very limited because the people that took the risk, that went out there, that did something that was exciting, that got a lot of blog play, magazine exposure, people talking about it, that was an original thing. And everybody's like, oh my God, look at this. Now you come along and you do something derivative of it, you remix it, you know, whatever you want to call, and you do it and people are like, I feel like I've seen that. Mm. Doesn't really yeah, right. doesn't really get me excited. Yeah. I feel like that was done a couple of years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, whatever. I feel like I've seen this. I mean, think of the river tables, for instance. You know, how many people are doing those now? When you see them, they're old hat. You see them, you see kits at Walmart on river tables. I swear right. to God, they sell kits at Walmart. They're not exciting. They're not exciting. Yeah, with some epoxy and a piece of wood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or a couple pieces of wood. But the yeah. first guy that did it, it was really exciting, right? You're like, oh my God, this is crazy. It seemed like high design. It seemed all, you know, but then it just gets so diluted and so many people do it. And then it's just, eh, whatever. And that's the problem with, you know, all these guys doing that. They're, they, they might get a lot of followers right now, but in a year when that trend is gone, where are they going to be, right? They're going to be back at square one without any original thought or designs or ideas. So anyways, that's my perspective. I want to hear your perspective. My words of wisdom to anybody. Now, I've been in this for whatever we keep saying, 20, whatever year, something like that. Now, other people might argue with me, but through this, these years of working with this material, I truly feel that I have been groundbreaking in a lot of places. This is me stepping on my soapbox wholeheartedly from concrete chemistries and mixed chemistries through some of my original marbling techniques to even finishes that I do in upright casting today. It's not easy. It's not easy. Coming up with your own stuff, whether that your own style, your you know iconic something, I realize that it's it's not easy. And along that this path, you're going to have bills to pay. You're going to have mortgages and you know a family and all these kind of things. But if I can say something to anybody listening, if you have an idea or pieces of an idea, and the fear of a failure. Or B, setting the time aside to challenge yourself to meet an expectation that you're hopefully set. Do it. Take, you know, be afraid. Spend that time, spend that energy, spend that money. Um, in the in the books that I give out at the workshop, I mean, piles of boneyards that I've created over the years trying to make whatever it is I was trying to make. So I understand the difficulty and it's, it's not easy, but to walk away from it or somehow, you know, separate yourself from some ability that you think you might have for the fear of taking on that challenge. That's all I would say to anybody listening, take it on, take it on, take, you know, take the money, meaning the finances the material, you know, work. And while you're working on something that may be, let's say, your own style, whatever that is, you know, whatever, remix something, pay your bills, do what it takes, but don't lose sight of that. Don't. Well, dude, I don't get me wrong, because this was the discussion in the class. The discussion that we had yeah. with the attendees is I get recreating things that you like as sure. a way of learning. 
I get that. Yeah, yeah. People make Sam Maloof rockers. They go and take a class. They make a Sam Maloof rocker to learn the techniques of Sam Maloof. That's awesome. Take that rocker home, sit in it, love it, all that kind of good stuff. But if you go take the Sam Maloof rocker class and you go home and all you do is make Sam Maloof rockers, then you're going to be the guy that just makes Sam Maloof rockers. Exactly. And nobody's ever going to remember you and you're going to live your life and you're going to die. And people are going to be like, hey, remember Bob? Didn't he make those knockoff rockers like Sam Maloof? Yeah, you know, Bob made the knockoff Sam Maloofs. That's going to be your legacy, right? But if you go to the mm-hmm. Sam Maloof class and you learn the techniques and you make something for your own home, that's not for sale. You did it for yourself. And then you learn the skills. Then yeah. you go out there and you're like, now I'm better prepared with my skill set to do things that are totally original. I'm going to put in the work. I'm going to mm-hmm. put in the time. I'm going to put in the failure. And I'm going to be real. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to ask people, what don't you like about this? I'm not going to ask you what you like because you're going to tell me all the things I want to hear. What don't you like about this? Tell me the truth. What would you change? That's valuable information. Then you might actually have a chance of making something that will transcend your life on this earth where people in 100 years, 200 years, 300 years will still be talking about that rad thing that that you designed, right? So that's, yeah, I agree. So that's number one. Number two, people, I'll go back to the erosion sink, right? Because that, that was brought up numerous times in the class. And again, like it is what it is. It's a sink design that I came up with. It's a product that... Um, that we're protective of because it's a signature item of Gore Design Company brand and Gore. But people are asking like, well, you know, how do you feel about that? And some people reference some ones they'd seen in their area. And here's what I'd say, for years, I've had people hit me up and say, I wanna make an erosion sink for my house. It's not for sale. I'm not doing it for a client. I'm doing it for my house. I just, you know, is that cool? Absolutely. And thank you for asking. Like, thank you for reaching out. I appreciate that. So that's cool and I get it. And that's the learning part. That's the doing mm-hmm. something that you like to learn a process. I get it. The The flip side of that is when people are just like making these things for profit or, you know, marketing them and stuff, well, then they stole something that wasn't theirs to steal. That's not their design. They didn't develop it. They're taking just the top layer of what they see without all the years of trials and, and tribulations and failures. And like you said, the bone pile. I can't tell you how many hundreds of erosion sinks yeah. I've had to destroy over the years. Yeah. To get to that point, they just take that shiny top layer and they they steal it, right? They're like, oh, that looks cool. I'm going to take it. I'm going to run with it. I'm going to market it. I'm going to make a commercial uh, business out of this. Well, that's a totally different thing. And that's that comes down to your ethics and your morals and who you are as a person. And, you know, everybody has a different moral compass and that's for them to decide whatever. But that's that's the difference between I get making things that you like to learn a process. I'm not saying that's wrong. I get it. Make, paint a Van Gogh if you want to be if you want to do it. But then when you're right. done and you perfect the abilities to paint in that style, then do do your own thing. Come up with a whole do new thing. thing. Take it to the yeah. whole new level. That's what I'm saying. No, I agree with you. I agree with you 100. percent And um, like I said, anybody listening, it's going to be hard. It's I mean whatever. It's going to be hard. No question. You're going to spend time. You're going to spend energy. You're going to run through materials. You're going to create your own boneyard. And don't be afraid and understand going into it, it's, it's like a mantra, fail. You're going to fail, but it's those failures you learn from. God dang, man, if every baseball player stepped up to bat and hit home runs from the very beginning and never struck out and never took on different pitchers and, you know, fastballs and sliders and, and no matter what came at you, you always hit a home run, then you'd be bored in a minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
you have nothing you have nothing to aspire to nothing you know to move you through life so i was talking to aiden my apprentice we're talking about avatar they're coming out with avatar 2 and mm. there was a scene in the first avatar and by the way anybody that has never seen little big man with dustin hoffman it was made in the 70s Avatar is a direct rip of Little Big Man, the irony in the whole thing that really? we're talking about. Dude, watch Little Big Man, then watch Avatar, and you're like, oh my God. This is the exact same storyline, to a T. But that being said, that's not even the point of this. It's just ironic that we're talking about it, because I was telling Aiden about it, because Aiden's talking about Avatar 2 coming out. But there was a scene in the first Avatar where this general is like essentially telling all the, the new, you know... Uh, not recruits. Recruits but, or something? Yeah, the people just yeah. showed up on the planet. He's like, my job is to keep you alive. Unfortunately, I'm going to fail at that job, right? A lot of you are yeah. going to die. And that's just the nature of, of what it is. I told him, I used to, not that line, but something similar of like when people came to class, I'd say, you know, it's my job to try to make you successful or, or to help you be successful in this business. Unfortunately, a lot of you aren't going to make it, right? And the reason you're not going to make it isn't because of a lack of training or skill or quality of product. The, the disconnect is going to be you're not going to make things people want to buy. You're not going right. to make things that people want to buy. And if you don't make things people want to buy, you're going to go out of business. And the dirty little secret that comes back from the data collected from, you know, Buddy Roads, Blue Concrete, whatever, is the churn rate in this industry is as high as 70 to 80% year over year. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. yeah so huge. the companies that come in, up to 80% of them won't be in business in a year, Right. And it's just constant churn. New companies come in, they fall off. New companies come in, they fall off. Well, why is that? The demand is there. The economics yeah. are there. You know, if you're charging $150 to $200 a square foot, and we'll talk about that in a minute, if you're charging $150, $200 a square foot, and materials costs are $15 to $20 a square foot, or $25 a square foot, let's say, you know, whatever, melamine is super expensive and freight's expensive, whatever, $25, you're still, there's so much room for profit. So the economics are there. The demand is there. What is the failure? And the failure is going to be, and you're not connecting with clients on what they want to buy. So right. that's that's what I try to get across classes. And I told Aiden, you know, unfortunately, I, I, I told the classes for a long time and uh, I just kind of got tired of telling people. Like, it's kind of a, a bummer, number one, to like tell people like, hey, 80% of you guys probably won't be around next year. But it just kind of fell in deaf ears in a lot of ways as well. Like, uh, you know, believe me, I've seen it happen so many times. But it comes back to, making things people want to die and buy. And where that comes back to this discussion is originality. Because if you're just copying other people's stuff, then your demographic, your reach is going to be very small, very limited. But if you're coming out with new products, and in our class we talk about all kinds of different new product ideas, things that are completely underserved, market segments that nobody's even touching right now, right. they have a lot of potential. But if you're not in any of these market segments as an original product, a new product, are you going to go out of business? Probably. Probably. You know, you might be able to get by locally if you do really nice concrete countertops or really nice concrete sinks. But if they're not original, if there's not something about it, if that's all you do, well, if the market takes a hit like Phoenix did, where Phoenix and Las Vegas are two hardest hit markets in the last recession, you're screwed. You know, yeah. all those companies went under because they were tied to the Phoenix market. That was their demographic. So you mm -hmm. need to develop an original product, whatever that is. And I'm not going to even give away all the, the great things we talked about because there's a lot of good things in the class. But come up with something original. Think about things that aren't being served with concrete or not being served well with concrete. Right. And try to come up with the most rad, badass product that's ever existed. And I, you know, I, I believe 
back to that original post that we kind of referenced, that person says it's not worth the time. I believe it is worth the time. I believe that if you do those things and you put in the work, you put in energy, you put in effort and you make refinements and you perfect that product, that it'll pay dividends for you for years and years to come. That's my belief. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I want to, I'm 100% with you. I think it's worth the time. I truly believe it's worth the time. And even if that time is spent and you never satisfy that, whatever it is you were trying to create that was all your own in your own style, that doesn't change the fact that the journey that you went on is worth it. Absolutely worth it. That's what's going to keep people inspired um, and their work. I mean, you know, by the time you get all of us can get into those doldrums and burn out, you know, so yeah, keep going. You know, the other thing I want to hit on is money and happiness. I think a lot of people think <clears throat> that I, maybe you, but I think a lot of people think like I'm just driven by money, right? Oh, Brandon Gore, he's just all about the money. He's not about the craft. Dude, you got it so wrong. I am 100% about the craft. The money is secondary to that. I mean, you have to make money. We live in a capitalist society. You have to make money to pay the bills and to be in business next year and the year after if you want to be in business and not do it as a hobby. But what I'd say is what I've learned through my life experience, through the last recession where the market crashed, dude, back then I had a house. I was in the house for 350000 They did, uh, my realtor pulled comps. Houses were selling on my street for 35000 back then. And I'm in it for 350. I had a brand new Porsche. I had a brand new BMW motorcycle. I was like going through a quarter life crisis, you know. Dude, I yeah. was killing it. I was doing huge concrete projects all over the, you know, mainly all over Phoenix, but I was doing all over the place, these huge concrete projects. And then the market crashed. And I had to sell everything. I let the house go back to the bank. I sold the Porsche. I sold the motorcycle. There was this time when I thought I was going to be really depressed, right? Like all these accumulated goods that I, you know, the, these possessions that you insure and you protect and you uh, toil over not to get scratched and dinged and all this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, all these things are gone and I thought I'm going to be sad. And what I found was I was actually the happiest. I was the happiest I ever been. I had an old Toyota Tacoma that had dents and dings in it. Dude, I'd park. If somebody crossed the line in a parking lot and they're parking in your space, I would get one inch away from them. I didn't care. <laughs> hey, buddy, guess what? I'm going to park one inch away from you. There you go. Hit my car. I don't care. It has dents and dings all over it. And I wasn't needing to generate as much income then because all those big expense items are gone. And so I took on a lot less projects. I was more selective about the projects I took on. And I spent a lot of my time at the gym every day. I'd go work out. I'd lay by the pool. I'd get a green smoothie. I'd go hiking. And life was awesome. Awesome. And the realization I had then was money isn't really, you know, why, why you're doing uh, it. You're doing you it because you love it. You your own problems sometimes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the money wasn't what made you happy. And even the things you bought don't make you happy. The, the things you own own you, like from Fight Club. The things you own will own you. If you own all this big fancy equipment and all these things, eventually those things will come to own you because you insure it, you protect it, you, you worry about it. And when you don't have those things to worry about, then there's less, less, to, uh, less to worry about. So anyways, that was a realization I had. Now, here I am today. I spent six years building my shop building the garage here, building my house, the landscape, just everything, dude. I mean, everything about this property I've done for six years and I sold it. And for a brief amount of time, there was a big chunk of money in my account. Now that chunk is now gone because I've purchased another house. But that being said, I thought before I sold the house and once I sold it, like once that money got transferred in my account, I was going to feel a certain way, but I'd forgotten the lesson I'd learned before. Money got transferred in my account. You know, you, you pull out money out of your account and you get your ATM receipt and you're like, Woo! No, no, it wasn't like that. It was like, hmm, 
That's what you were okay. hoping. That's what I was hoping. I thought I yeah. thought I was going to feel a certain way. Kind of like I thought before when the market crashed, I was going to feel like really down. I thought this was going to be the reverse. I'm going to feel really up. But instead, I, I didn't feel down. I just, I didn't feel anything. Like, mm-hmm. it didn't make one bit of difference. Because it's not, I don't give a shit about the money, dude. I literally don't care about the money. I loved building this. I loved the process of building this. I thoroughly enjoyed it. it through all the crap that I went through, you know, through the snow and the summer heat and the yellow jacket swarming me and rattlesnakes and everything that ticks, everything that, that have gone through, it was all part of the process that I really enjoyed at the end of the day, right? And yep. so anyways, my point with this long rambling rant is you do what you do because you love to do it. You, you make concrete because you love to make concrete. Now, you're going to need to make things that people want to buy to be in business. You're going to need to sell those things at a price that's profitable because we live in a world where you have to turn a profit to stay in business. It's just the dirty, ugly side of running a business. If you're not profitable, you're going to go out of business, which is my segue into this next section I want to hit on real quick because I was really shocked by the class. We were talking about pricing. Yeah, I was as well. I was absolutely, yeah. You know what was nice about it, though? What's that? This group of individuals, what I loved about where we're going with this conversation right now is actually had the openness to talk to us about it, not just listen and be like, oh, yeah, yeah, guys, like like literally turned it around and brought it back at us. Go ahead. Well, there wasn't like the bluster or the ego or right. maybe the peer pressure to go along to get along. Like, you know, these guys saying 150, I better say I do 150 as well. I don't want to yeah. look at me weird and think that I'm not doing what I should be doing. Right. So, you know, we're, we're talk, telling the class, you know, pricing, blah, blah, blah. Here's just kind of general industry standards, 135 square foot. It's really the minimum you want to be for like your BFF, you know. Yeah. If my grandma hit me up and she's not alive anymore, but had she be alive and she's like, Brandon, I want you to make my, my concrete countertop. Hey, grandma's 135. That's my BFF price, right? <laughs> that's that's who you do it for your grandma 135 and really anything above that 150 200 250 isn't unreasonable with the times we're living in with the cost the way they've increased across the board you know concrete's gone up freight has gone up melamine has gone up electricity has gone up water has gone up everything has gone up your property tax has gone up so everything has gone up and you're gonna have to increase your prices otherwise you're gonna fall behind you're gonna go out of business so you know 150 that's kind of my minimum at this point, 150, 200, 250 is, is really where I'm hitting on most projects because they're not mm-hmm. just a simple slab. 150 is for a simple slab. If somebody wants something complex, a Leviathan table, uh, anything like that. When I calculate square footage, 250 a square foot. Plus if there's tooling and, and mold costs, because rubber is like liquid gold. If you have to spend, you know, I did that block project Years ago, the rubber was seventeen thousand dollars. That's not even for the tooling that I had, that I had to see, have CNC to make the block molds off. But the rubber was seventeen thousand dollars for those molds. You know what is it today? Probably be double that because of COVID, right? But you yep. got to take those materials into account when you do your pricing. So, anyways, my point is, you know, we're, we're having this conversation, and I kind of noticed, and you kind of noticed that people were, I don't know, just kind of like looking around and just kind of almost kinda, tuning out. Almost tuning out. Yeah. yeah. Or just kind of like not really believing that that mm-hmm. is where we should be. And so then we went out and had drinks and we're having uh, beers at this bar and we're talking. And, and they're kind of like, yeah, no, we're talking, you know, privately, like a lunch and stuff. And a lot of us are like at 65 square foot, 70 square foot. I'm like, what? Dude, 
in 2004, I used to do sales, which is a horrible idea. Don't ever do a sale. sale. A sale just cheapens everything that you do. I used to do sales. I'd post on these bulletin board pages because Facebook wasn't a thing back then. So like these bulletin board modern home pages. And I would say, you know, this weekend only sale, $65 a square foot for concrete countertops. That was in 2004 I was doing that. And at that price point in 2004, I knew I was losing money, but my thought was it's better to have at least something going on the tables than just sitting here idly. Now, the truth of the matter is some of the best jobs you take are the ones you don't take. Some of the most profitable jobs you take in your life are the ones that you do not take. Because if you're upside down, you're better off to, to not do anything, right? Mm-hmm. In 2004, 65 was a losing bet, right? So to be in 2022 in the age of COVID where, you know, a, a two by four is 15 bucks, 20 bucks, and you're going to be 65 a square foot. Now, I'm not chastising these guys. I get it. But that price point is way too low, incredibly too low. And at that price point, what you're selling is price. Your selling right. point to the client is price. You're saying to the client, use me because I'm the cheapest guy, right? Use, use concrete countertops because it's cheaper than granite. It's cheaper than laminate. It's cheaper than all these things. 65 a square foot is going to be the cheapest thing. Wrong sales pitch. Wrong. Do not sell that. Sell quality, craftsmanship, customization, that you're the only person in the world making this product. That's a sprint to going out of business. Exactly. The race to the bottom is a quick one. There's always a guy that's hungrier. Do it for a dollar less. Hey, what do you say? 65? I'll do 64. They call you up. Hey, I talked to so-and-so over here at, you know, whatever, Acme Concrete, and they said 64. You know what? Screw that guy. I'll do 63. Oh, hold on a second. Hey, man, he just said 63. I'll do 60. Screw it. I'll do it for free. Hey, I'll pay you. I'll pay you 65 a square foot to do it, right? That's what happens ultimately. I mean, I'm, you know, it's hyperbole, but that's, that's what's going to happen. You're going to paying the client. When you take a project for far below where you need to be, and we, again, in the class, we go through all this. We go through the, the uh, exercises of figuring out where you should be. But if, you, if you're not making what you need to make to cover all your overhead, and there's a lot of expenses, then you're essentially doing it for free and you're giving the client money. You know, even though the client gave you a check, you that none of that money went in your pocket. Yeah. You took that money, you bought this stuff, you did the stuff, and then you actually gave some of that money back to the client because you're upside down. So, well, and what it took was, like, like you and you and I not long ago did with materials, is running an exercise which so many of us just don't do. Take your expenses, whatever makes sense to you. Your you know your mortgage, your truck payment, your gas, your food, whatever all these things are you know, break it down into a, whatever, a 30 day calendar and figure out, again, if this makes sense to people, because even people in the group put that in into mathematics and figure out, you know, what does it cost for you to hit the ground each day? What is that number? I don't know. 200 bucks a day, 500 bucks a day for, you know, shop expense, you know, la, 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 la. And if you're not making twice that so that you have a cushion for when the hot water heater goes out or you need new tires for your vehicle or whatever, then you're not going to be around very long. And, maybe, and maybe maybe your wife loads way too much laundry in your front loader washing machine. Yeah. Possibly. I mean, right? I mean hypothetically, yeah. she melted the bearings, the motor to the drum. Maybe you have to go buy a brand new washing machine for a house that you sold. You don't even own anymore, but you got to get a brand new washing machine. Happens. Just hypothetically. These are things that happen. Yeah. I'm just saying. So no, that, that was great talking to him. And part of that whole discussion was, you know, where, and I know nobody can answer this right off the bat either. You know, where do you want to be in the market? And one thing that all of us learned out of the last 
crash or should have learned is you survived because you were the bottom feeder and maybe you were focused on being very inexpensive and barely getting by, or maybe you had to do massive volumes at super low margins to get by, or you were the cusp and you were tapping into all the big money. And I think I told you this, I'll say it again. So I happened to be at the coffee shop that morning and ran into a couple, got into a conversation. It turned out that the wife worked for a company that did, I'm going to call it upholstery. That's the easy, coverings that she referred to it as. And the company strictly deals with coverings for private jets. And in this COVID time, it's the busiest that her company has ever been in all the years. And then I expressed to her that as one of the conversations that we've had is what into the market? Because if you're in the middle and the economy goes south, well, you got two choices. Try to figure out how to get to the top, meaning the people that are charging the big money. But wait a minute, they're already there. You know, they already have people who know they're there. Or wait a minute, wait a minute, I got to run to the bottom. I got to get down. I got to pump my volume. I got to cut my margin. Well, those people are already there, which means the middle went out of business. You went out of business. And that's what happens. So, yeah. So as a learning experience to even these guys that were talking to us at their square foot price is that's not where you want to be or you're not going to be there very long. That's that. I guess that's the problem. You won't be there very long for a lot of reasons. Either A, you'll go at a, out of business because the customer base that you're trying to serve you know, maybe they can afford what you're doing, but you're just not making enough to make a living. Or you get into a market that can afford you even through all the highs and lows of the economy. But to do that, as I'm circling around back to what we first talked about, is you have to have something that they want. And you have to market it in a way that gets them to want that. If you're not, and you have not created either whatever, that's not necessarily your own style, but created something that people look at at 135 a square foot and go, oh yeah, yep, that's what I want. Well, then again, you, you're just not, I shouldn't say you're not doing it right, but what I would say is you're not investing in yourself in a way that's going to make you successful. Yeah. Does that make sense? No, 100%. I agree. Yeah. The people in the middle will do okay as long as the market is doing well. Mm -hmm. But when the market goes down, which it does, it's inevitable. It's the cycle of the economy, up and down, up and down, right. up and down. And, you know, if you're in the middle when the market's going up, you're okay. Then the market yeah. goes down and all of a sudden you're screwed. And the, like you said, the two on the far ends of the spectrum, the, the super high end, the Bugattis and Rolls Royces and Mercedes, they're going to do fine. The Kias are going to do fine. You yep. know, Oldsmobile, Pontiac, these companies, not as much. They're the ones that get killed during those types of, of economies. So, yeah, you want to be top or bottom. You, you, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you don't want to be the Walmart of concrete, but maybe you do. Maybe that is your market segment. Maybe exactly. you, you nickel and dime your materials. You get the cheapest cement you can find. You get the cheapest concrete you find. You get the cheapest you labor. You the most of something. Yeah. yeah. You yeah. get the cheapest and labor you can find. You, you know, you, yep. you whatever. You advertise that you pay six bucks an hour on Craigslist and you get a $6 an hour employee and Hey, it is what it is, right? Uh, you find the cheapest shop space you can find and then you can afford to charge 
65, 50 a square foot and still be quote unquote profitable. You know, you'll make more than you're spending. Maybe not a lot, but you're going to do, you know, 5,000 square feet a month. You're going to make up for it in volume, but you're going right. to be killing yourself. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to kill your employees. You're going to kill your equipment. You're going to kill everything, but damn it, you're going to make a profit or yeah, you'll survive. You'll be the Bugatti Veyron. You'll be the guy that makes three. But those three are going to be the best, and they're going to go to people that really value design over all else. They value quality over all else. That's yep. what they want, and they want something that nobody else has, and they're willing to spend 100 times more per square foot for that versus whatever the cheap guy is selling, right? So, yeah, you got to decide where well, you're going Well, that's, that's constantly. We can go on and on with analogies, but, you know, during the hard times— you're going to have contractors out there that are building, you know, the, the least they, again, maybe they're the, I, I always say the $5 an hour contractor, the $5 an hour electrician. Well, those guys are going to be busy, but at the same time, you're going to have electricians that are $150 an hour. And guess what? They're going to be busy. So everybody else in between, you either have a potential client base. It's like, Oh my God, you're too expensive. Or you're going to have a potential client base. It'll be like, no, I'm questioning what you can do. There's no way I'm bringing a guy in here for five bucks an hour. And so that's, that's the, you know, part of the minefield here is yeah. navigating that. And then we're not, no one can tell anybody where they think you should be. That's something we all have to answer for ourselves. Yeah. But pricing. at the end of the day, yeah, that the pricing, your confidence, and that's a build, build your confidence in that back to the original, you know, your, your own design and your own creativity and focus on those things, which continues to escalate your confidence. I mean, these, these are the things all of us over the years struggle with, but as you struggle with them, don't give up on them because that'll continue to make you better. Your confidence keeps going up. You know, you you raise your price, you get into that customer base and, and all along, hopefully the same thing. You're modifying your material, upgrading as you go so that you're constantly bringing you know, better quality of yourself and better quality of your product to, to the end of a market that's looking in that and wanting to pay for it. The final part in all this, and we already said it, is design is everything. So if you're just like, well, I listened to Brandon and John and they said I should be 150 to 200 square foot. So let me make this plain Jane gray countertop or let me, let me make this purple countertop with an ammonite in it uh, and I'll be 200 square foot. Eh, you probably won't, right? You probably right. won't. You have to be doing something that has value to the client. When I say value, I'm saying they need to be buying you for your design. You know, mm -hmm. they, they, they're coming to you for a reason. You're selling something to them that they want to buy. And that is what we keep hitting on with people. Is well, you as you said before, and I, I'm going to just, you know, let's say parrot what you said. Nobody. I can't think of in all the years I've done this, nobody has ever come to me as a potential client because I work with concrete. Exactly. That's not, they didn't, they didn't look around. They didn't, I mean, there's no yellow pages anymore. They didn't look up concrete and like, Oh yeah, you know, he's in the S's. Look at this Schuler. Yeah. We're going to call him. No, they've always come because concrete just happens to be the medium. They come because of what you make and, and it's, what they're looking to acquire and to pay for it. Dude, That's to this why. day, I get people that hit me up because they found some magazine article or blog post or something about a table or whatever it is. They'll hit me up, sink, a chair. They'll hit me up and say, hey, you know, we're working on a project. We need a quote on this. By the way, what is this made of? Concrete. 
oh, okay. But they, they didn't hit me up because of concrete. Nobody cares. I mean, there's, there are right. customers out there that want concrete countertops. But they're, they're far more interested in what you do with the concrete. I mean, there right. are going to be some purists that they just want concrete. Australians. Australians love concrete. They love it, right? So there's going to be a lot of Australians who are like, hey, Mike, I just want a great concrete countertop. Great. We can do that. Well, I mean, we'll do it really well. We're going to have a super dense mix. It's going to be sealed. It's going to withstand you know, the daily use. And it's not going to look like it's covered in plastic. We can make really, really nice plain gray countertops. But 99% of clients are going to come to you because of what you made with concrete, the fire pit, the table, the sink, the chair, the whatever, right? They're going to come to you because of that. That's the reason right. the material is secondary. The material is ultimately irrelevant. You know, all these guys are like, they, they, I get people to say, hey, um, you know, do you want me to, or should I tell the client what I seal it with? I'm like, no, they don't care. No, they Nobody don't care. cares. <laughs> you know, you're using the best sealer, at least in yeah. your mind. I think we all we all want to use the best per our own perspective and our own life experience, whatever that is. Yeah, balancing scratch resistance, stain resistance, application methods, you know, blah, blah, well, maybe, blah. Maybe that, I came from the automotive world and I, I love coatings, you know, catalyzed coatings. So from that world, I think that's that's the best. And so I'll find the best catalyzed coating. And in my mind, that's the best. But I'm going to be doing the best I can for my client. But the client doesn't care. The client's like, what, what seal are you using? Well, I'm using... X3 200-B, and we're like, oh, okay, whatever, right? I don't care. I'm using ICT. Can you explain to me whatever. how you use it? It's a reactive sealer. Okay, I don't know what that means. Whatever, yeah. right? So they don't care. The, the material is irrelevant. The sealer's irrelevant. Uh, all that stuff's irrelevant. All they care is about what you make. Now, it's on us as artisans to make the best product we can, the best concrete we can make. We cure it the best. We seal it the best. We package it the best. We promote it the best. We have the best, whatever it is. We want the best experience and the client gets it. All those things are on us as an artisan to deliver on, on that. But the client is going to make what you made with concrete. That's what they want. The end product. Agreed. There it is. Mic drop. Yeah. Boom. Boom. We can keep going, but there's no point. I think we beat this horse. Yeah, we'll see. We kicked it'll it. Be brought up. I guarantee it'll be brought up again and again and again. Um, and in my opinion, it still comes back to, especially some of the guys that were in the workshop, their own, either A, it sounded like a group of them all talking and like, well, you know, uh, and a lot had to do with their confidence. Yeah, exactly. And, and when I say their confidence, I mean, I don't mean like standing in, in front of the mirror and, you know, puffing their chest up kind of confidence. I mean, like, you could tell they were very, they, they weren't confident in what they were doing, you know, what they were, what they were presenting, what they were making. And so at the moment, like one of the guys who I can't, he either bought out a business or, or something like that and dealing with a tidal wave of callbacks. So at the same time, he was just, it was like taking a ball peen hammer to his confidence, you know, and then bang, bang, just beating him down. And so in the midst of all of that, you could tell he had this preconceived notion of what his price point should be. Almost so he kept busy, but he didn't really upset anybody. And but he was busy. And was he still going to go back to these jobs that were done by the previous person and go fix things? And should he charge for them? Is it his fault? I mean, there was so much things weighing on him from a confidence point of view. But you know, spending some time with us and then and moving a different direction with his materials has really boosted his confidence. 
and um, and you could tell it's uh, move and continue to foster his success. So that's well. The other thing I think some guys get stuck in the trap of what are other people in your market doing? So they look around. Oh yeah. You know, they look around, they say, well, this guy's 65 and this guy's 65, this guy's 70, this guy's maybe 80, but I feel like if I go to that level, you know, I'm more like these 65 guys. I should be at 65. Mm-hmm. Don't care. You can, I can tell you I never did that. Neither I did I, did but I know people. Nobody, I, know I mean, people nobody's here anymore but me who does any of this, but even when there was a time where I think there's one or two other guys who did it, you know, I never asked. But I think that's a natural way to come up with pricing. If you don't know where you should be, you don't have any baseline. You're gonna be like, well, where's the other guys at? Where are they at? And I get it. That's that's a very logical way to arrive at pricing. But that doesn't mean you're gonna be profitable. And if you're not profitable, you can go to business. And so that's what we talk about. Is you need to know what your costs are. And if you're in the first year of business, you're gonna have to guess these things. You may not have data on these things yet. But you're gonna know what your shop space is. You're gonna know what good help is. You're gonna know what tax rates are. You're gonna know what approximately your utilities will be. Um, you're going to know what kind of profit margin you make. Do you want to make 30%, 40%? Where, where do you want to be? And you need to extrapolate that. Realistically, you're not working 40 hours a week. You're working 20 hours a week, maybe 30, but probably 20 because you're spending your time doing this and doing that and talking to your helper and sweeping the floor and doing all these different things. So extrapolate that, divide it by 20. That's really more realistically where you need to be per hour. Now think, well, how many kitchens do I do a month? Oh, I'm doing five kitchens a month, three kitchens a month. And the average size, just based on what I've done so far, is 45 square feet. So 45 divided by this, or you know, times three, so that's uh, 135 divided by this. I need to be at 275 square foot to be profitable. Well, there it is. The math doesn't lie. It is what it is. Yeah, and if you're at 65 is. or 150, you're going to go out of business because you need to be at 275 based on your math for you to be profitable. And so these are the exercises you need to do, and you need to completely put blinders on with what people in your market are doing, everything like that. You need to find where you need to be and then go from there. I seriously doubt there's anybody in the United States that could be profitable at 65 square foot if they're realistic with themselves on their real cost, what's their time worth, what profit margin they want to make. Do they want their kids to go to college? You know, do they want to have a retirement? Yeah. Do they want to work till they're 90? Anyway, yeah. yeah, exactly. So mm-hmm. these, are, these are things that people need to be honest about. But I think if they're honest, there's nobody that's, going to be able to be at 65 square feet and make a good living unless, unless they're doing mass volume and unless they have super cheap materials and super cheap labor and super cheap, super cheap tools and uh, shop space, then maybe, maybe, but is that where you want to be? And maybe it is, but I don't think a lot of guys want to do that. I don't think a lot of guys want to work themselves to the bone to do 5,000 square feet a month just to turn a profit where the guy that's making three sinks a month is making the same profit with one helper, but he's paying his helper great. And he has a guy that's going to be with him for years. You know, you know what I'm saying? No, I do. Yeah. 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 So I said, we we're done beating this horse. I thought we curb stomped it, but apparently we didn't because we're still out here kicking it. You could, you could never, <laughs> you could never. I, honestly, I mean, aside from the idea of quality of materials and, and these kind of things, you know, this conversation to help people, I think it's as much emotional as it is the numbers to gain the confidence to set your success financially is a difficult one. It really is. And even though you can hear from two guys that have done this forever, you know, also don't think for a minute that the two of us haven't navigated that and the emotional roller coaster of the confidence. I mean, been there, been there. I can't tell you how many times, but at the same time, a guy who's you know unemotional with numbers. I knew where I had to be 
And that's just the way it is. I couldn't go any, there's just no sense then in doing this. Heck, I might as well go, I don't know, bag groceries or, or just do something else than lose my shirt. Even if I certainly enjoy it, then I have to turn it into a hobby. That's yeah. all. Because and hobbies it can't are great. Be my income. Yeah. Hobbies are great. People should have hobbies. But yeah, if, if concrete is your hobby, then be true to yourself that it's your hobby. You're not in the business right. of it. And if that's what yeah. it is, then be careful about advising other people on what you're doing as a way to be successful because it's a hobby, right? So right. if people are trying to feed their families or trying to build a legacy, they're trying to build something they can pass down to their kids, then they're going to have to approach it from a very different mindset. So Brandon Gore, once again, amazing spending an afternoon with you. Thank you very much. No, you're welcome very much. That's it? That's it. Is there anything else? No. Anything else it. we want to slap around? Anything else? Until next week? Well, I mean, there's all kinds of things I want to slap around, but. <laughs> <laughs> that can Let's be taken in so it. many different ways, that, that, know, that right. one statement. Somebody's going to cut that out, <laughs> and uh, they'll just be like replayed again. Brandon Gordon saying, there's so many things I want to slap around. Wow. Uh, yeah. Let's, um, let's get a guest on next week. Hey, we'll talk I, would, about I would like, well, speaking of guests, I would like to do a month of haters. What do you think about that? Like, what are we kind of, it's uh, July. July is a hot month. Everybody's agitated in July, right? Everybody's pissed off because it's hot. Your shop's hot. You got sweaty balls. Your butt crack is all sweaty. You're leaving wet spots when you sit down. You know what I'm saying, fun. John. Yeah. I don't know if they're haters, but because then we can't tell them they're haters when we first bring them on. Or no, that no, really no, could no. I say we put the invitation out. People that have whatever perspective of us, whatever that is, negative perspective. They or think, the materials. Yeah. Or the materials, you know. Whatever that is, we'd love to have you on. Let's do July. Let's do the month of haters. Yeah. July is a month of haters. And we and again, we'll open up. So it's not just about us battling each other, but it's, it's all these things we talk about from individual design and style and maybe your, I don't know, your shop setup. I mean, there's lots of places to go with this after you get done berating us, but then we can go with all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, and I would say it's nothing to do with the battle. It's about having a conversation, but having a conversation with people that don't have the same perspective. And that's great. We sure. should be having conversations no, with people have on. different perspectives. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. That's where the interesting yeah. information lies, you know? Yeah. Uh, so anybody out there, you're listening to this podcast right now, you're like, oh, I hate these guys. You know, you're like throwing stuff and whatever, beating your puppy. Whatever it is you do when you get mad at us, uh, send us a message and say, hey, guys, yeah, I hate you. Why don't you have me on? And I sure. would love to be a guest in July, the month of haters. <laughs> So uh, let's do this. Have your people talk to my people and let's make it happen and we'll make it happen. So haters out there, that would be fun. we love you. Come on, come on, come on the podcast. Month of July. Maybe what we'll do is open this up on the various forum posts and see if we can create a list. Right? <laughs> yeah, dude. Wouldn't that be The fun? top 10. Who would you like to hear from? Exactly. I, yeah, that, I, see again, anybody listening could think, oh, they're just being... No, I'm being serious. Me too. I, number one, I am 100% about good conversation. Even if that conversation can be uncomfortable, maybe combative, I, whatever. I still, I, I enjoy it. I totally enjoy it. I so, am happy to listen to anybody's perspective. Absolutely. Anybody. Doesn't matter who you are. You have a different perspective. Yeah. I'm open to hearing it. 
I might not agree with it, and we'll discuss whatever our perspective is, my perspective. Right. John's, me and John aren't the same people. We have different perspectives on things. Mm-hmm. We yeah. spent 14 hours driving up to Solomon and back. We had plenty of conversation about things we don't agree on. That's that's the nature of being uh, human. So we would love to, to have that conversation. Yeah. I guess it, it seems like a lot of times we always get, I shouldn't say always, a lot of people have similar, they're very much into the authenticity of the materials and but that's not the only way maybe you're into painting concrete or hanging concrete or carving concrete or i mean any of this stuff would be amazing to have those kind of conversations exactly haters hit us up sounds good all right right, brandon until next time all right buddy talk to you later have a good afternoon